Well, last week we talked about three characters struggling with guidance. We talked about super spiritual Susan, anxious Alan, and carefree Kara. Super spiritual Susan is expecting God to tell her exactly how to live step by step, whether it's what job to go for or what to have for lunch. She waits for God to guide her through inner voices, nudges, hunches, signs. On the other hand, anxious Alan is always fretting about whether he might be doing the wrong thing. Has he missed God's will for today? Has he missed God's will for his life? And how can he tell? Carefree uh, Cara thinks all of this guidance business is a little bit silly. She doesn't pray. She doesn't consider what God might think about her decisions. She just does what seems right to her. And we saw last week that the primary means that God uses to guide us is, is his word, is the Bible. And that he's already given us everything we need to be guided. We have the scriptures. And that is enough, not because there is a verse that tells me whether to take the job with you know, this bank or that bank or whatever it might be, but because in the Bible, God equips us to make decisions. And he does that by revealing what we've called his moral will. But not by revealing his sovereign will. So he's in charge of all our decisions and he knows what we're going to do. He even intends what we're going to do beforehand uh, he causes us to choose what we choose, but he doesn't tell us in advance what those things are going to be. And in advance, our experience is often that we could choose one thing or we could choose another thing. And it's hard sometimes to know which one is the right thing to choose. So then how do we decide, particularly when we're inside the circle of God's moral will? We've seen over the last couple of weeks the idea that God's revealed moral will isn't a dot, you know, the one thing you must do, and if you don't do that, you're not doing God's will. It's more like a circle. Now, there are things which are beyond the circle. So you can go, if you're thinking about which, which job should I get, well, you can, you can go beyond that circle, for example, by getting a job as a drug dealer or, or you know, something like that. So that will not be within God's moral will. But potentially, the choice of a job, you know, working for this company or that company, or whatever it might be, they could both be within the circle. Now, that's not saying God doesn't know the future. It's not saying that God doesn't cause the future, that he's not sovereignly in charge. He is all of those things. But what he desires for us is not that we kind of work out which handle to turn and which buttons to press in order to get him to tell us in advance what's going to happen. What he desires for us is to grow in wisdom and make a decision that glorifies him and that is within his revealed moral will. So how do we do that then? That's the question. That's what we're going to think about tonight. Are there other questions that we can ask as we consider about these things? God's word gives us everything we need in order to make good.
good decisions. That's what we've seen last time in particular. And in particular, what we're going to see now is that God's word gives us gospel priorities, gospel wisdom, gospel motives, and gospel grace. Now, these headings are all from a really helpful chapter in a really helpful book by a guy called Tim Chester. And the book, if you want to look it up later, is called Decision Making Made Easy. Decision Making Made Easy. And if you want to take things further on this subject, I recommend that you read that book and find it really helpful. But uh, here's the first thing then, gospel priorities. Now, um, David, you might be somebody trying to get in there. Do you want to just go and... Yeah, that's all right, sorry, okay. Gospel priorities. So um, the, uh, the, the first heading on the, on the handout. Now, this is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 33 on page 971. Uh, in the reading from, uh, that we heard, that, that David read for us, Jesus speaks into the very human emotion of worry. Now, anxious Alan's ears would prick up at this point because anxious Alan worries about lots of things. And not least, he worries about making the right decision. And these verses would suggest that part of the reason anxious Alan frets is that he struggles to believe that God genuinely cares for him. He can't avoid worrying about tomorrow because he fears he can't really trust God to get it right. And he has that sense of God's will as a dot rather, uh, rather than a circle. He thinks it's a bullseye that he's got to hit. And if he doesn't hit it, he's, he's panicking that it's all going to fall apart and everything's going to go wrong. And therefore, the decisions that he makes today are absolutely critical because it all comes down to him, he feels. And to people like Anxious Alan and to people like us, who may feel like that, Jesus says, understand, first of all, that God certainly cares for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He makes sure they get what they need day in and day out. So won't he do the same and better for you and for me? You know, we're not mere birds and flowers which are here today and gone tomorrow, but we are beloved children of God, made in his image. Can't we trust our Heavenly Father to do what is best for us, to care for us? So what Jesus is doing is he's asking us to trust in God's hidden sovereign will, to know actually God is in charge. He's got this. And therefore, even though you don't know what that is, you don't know what tomorrow will bring, you know that you don't need to fret about tomorrow. Because he knows. You don't know what job you're going to get. You don't know what um, the future of your relationships are. You don't know um, where things are going. And you need to know, and we need to know, that God knows those things. He's got it in hand. And therefore, whether tomorrow brings you joy or sorrow, and whether the decisions that you make today bring hardship or success, that's not really the point. The point is God is in charge and he will give you everything you need. So what should we do then? Does it really matter at all what we do in that case? Well, look at verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. 
So what this means is that God's concern is not that we get him to tell us which decision to take, but that we apply gospel kingdom priorities as we make the decision. Can you see that? Seek first his kingdom and everything else will follow. Because the thing is, so often this isn't how we make decisions. I don't know about you, but certainly for me, I know this is naturally how I would tend to approach things. So often, you know, certainly in big life decisions, our thinking goes like this. We think, first of all, what lifestyle do I want? How do I want to live? And then we might think, okay, well then how much money do I need in order to fund that lifestyle? Then we might think, what job do I need in order to get that money? And then, where do I need to live in order to do that job? And then, and only then, well, is there a church nearby, maybe, that I could get involved with? And finally, how might I serve God there with the time that's left over when I've got everything else sorted? So, sort of lifestyle, money, job, church, God. Now, I know that that's an oversimplification of things in some ways, but the, the, the There's that sort of basic way that we often approach things. Now, do you notice the first three things on that list? Lifestyle, money, job. Actually, those would be exactly the same, wouldn't they, for our atheist colleague or or next-door neighbour. It's probably how they make decisions too. And the difference for the Christian, if we're making decisions like that, is that church and God get kind of tacked on the end of the same decision-making process that everyone else is following. Now, we might quibble with the precise order in a a list like that. You know, well, I I don't really care how much money I make, we might say. Maybe it's social status that's driving us instead. There'll be something, there often is something, that is driving the decisions that we make. And Jesus is saying, turn all that upside down. Make the first question that you ask How can I best serve Jesus with the life that he has given me? Then, how can I do that in a local church? Then, or where do I need to live in order to serve in that church? Then, if I'm living there and serving in that way, what job would make the most sense? And finally, well, what lifestyle would be sensible to live with the resources God has given me, having made all those previous decisions? Do you see the difference? It's a completely different way of thinking about it, isn't it? Now, I know it's all a bit simplistic and life is generally a little bit more complicated and messy and you can't always follow those steps in precisely that order because of the constraints on us in different ways. But the basic question for each of us, if we're trusting in Jesus, is do I give God the leftovers after I've sorted everything else out? Or is my whole life first and foremost about serving him and his kingdom? Now, if you're not trusting Jesus, I guess this would probably sound a little bit crazy. Why would anybody do this? But the thing is, this is the God who made us, who gave us the life that we live and every breath that we take. And if when we trust in Jesus, this is the God who saved us, who who gave up his son for us. He could not be more committed to us in love. If all of those things are true, well, it's crazy not then to think of anything other than complete devotion to him. So gospel priorities are one thing to consider as we make decisions. Will this decision take me closer to God and time with his people or away from time 
for God and time with his people? Will I be serving and building the kingdom of God as I make this decision, or will I be serving and building the kingdom of me? Gospel priorities. Then there is gospel wisdom. Now we need to turn back to Proverbs chapter 24. So just focusing on the last few verses from the ones that David read, from verse 30. So page 660, gospel wisdom. There, there, there is that saying that if you want to feed someone for a day, give them a fish. And if you want to feed them for a lifetime, teach them to fish. I've heard that, haven't you? So, yeah, and if after all we've said about guidance, we're still wondering, why doesn't God just tell us what to do? It just would be so much easier. I mean, you're saying you'll set, set things up like this and you sort of told us generally how to live, but it doesn't tell us the specifics of exactly what I should do. I, I would just much prefer it if he did that, we think. Well, if we're thinking like that, that is because we haven't understood that he's given us something much better than that. He's not just spoon-feeding the answers to us. He's giving us wisdom. Wisdom is about assessing a situation and making a realistic assessment of the consequences. And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. It tells us about consequences. It's one of the things that you do. Is you go through the book and you read these sort of often kind of scattergun Proverbs which take you all over human life. But it tells you, if you do this, this will happen. Generally speaking, not always, not in every situation. You can always think of exceptions. But on the whole, this is how God has set up his world. So in the reading that we heard, the last few verses, we heard about the sluggard, the lazy bones, who lies around in bed all day and never does anything. And his garden and his house were in ruins and the writer goes on, I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I'll just have a lie down. Do it tomorrow. Do it another time. Well, if, you, if that is the way you always run your life, poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Do you get the point? On the whole, speaking generally, laziness isn't a great idea. Now, that's not the same as having a rest. Rest is all part of, is a good thing. And, um, you know, God rested on the seventh day. Christians should rest. Don't be a workaholic. But don't be a lazy bones. Do you see? It's, it's normally better not to be lazy. If you're always lazy, you will never get anything done and life won't go very well for you. And Proverbs is full of wisdom like that. It, it, it makes observations about things. It makes observations, for example, about how to choose a suitable husband or wife. So there's that great verse, chapter 31, verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now you can apply that to men just as easily. The point being, as the wise know, don't be fooled by appearances. Godliness will count for far more and looks in the end. And the point of wisdom like this, do you see, is not to give us a bunch of rules to kind of beat ourselves up with, 
but to help us at the point where we have to make all these decisions. Life is full of millions of decisions that we have to make, big and small. And so one day you're stuck on a decision and you're thinking, well, okay, what should I do? Well, pray for wisdom, certainly. Start there. Seek wisdom from the Bible. And again, that doesn't mean sort of randomly looking through the Bible to find the verse that tells you what to do. No, the Bible isn't generally about us directly and about, you know, the the verse that tells you which job to do or whatever. But it's more about saying, no, I want to be someone who is soaked in Scripture. So that when hard decisions have to be made, I've got the resources to draw on. I know where to turn. So that is why it's worth reading and reading and reading the Bible, do you see? Not to kind of tick the box, so you know, I've had my quiet time today and I did it yesterday and I'll do it tomorrow, you know, that's not the point. The point is, this is what God has given us to guide us in our lives. So we need to know this book so that I can grow in wisdom. Not because every day when I read it, you know, if you're following the the, the reading plan we're using at at church at the moment, we're going through Exodus, you might read it tomorrow and you think, well, I don't doesn't seem to be very relevant to my Monday as I read about the Israelites doing whatever but the point is you're getting the Bible story in you and it may not be relevant to your Monday tomorrow but there will come a Monday when you need to know exactly what God said to the Israelites and how he guided them or whatever it is and you'll understand more and more of how God relates to his people so Read and read and read the Bible, grow in wisdom, so that my worldview and your worldview and general way of living our lives becomes more and more shaped by the big gospel story of the Bible. So get wisdom from God's word. Then seek wisdom from trusted friends, from from church, from one another. We can use each other. There's no shame in asking others for advice. Now, of course, you do sometimes see people going from person to person for advice, asking the same question every time, not really listening to the answers that they get, and then going on to someone else and just asking the you know, questions going round, round and round and round. And actually, that, that, that can be something you know, more about sort of atten- you know, seeking attention or something like that. No, but be wise about who you talk to, You've got to find, you know, you work out who are the wise people, who are the people I can trust, who are the people that, that understand me and my situation and my life. That's why it's great to be part of a small group or something like that, isn't it? Because it means that we're sharing life with people who know us and we can share these things that we struggle with, with one another, so that we can receive wisdom and shared experience from one another. And then make a decision and get on with it the nature of wisdom though is that there are no shortcuts so that that, that's the point that is the way of the life of faith generally again this isn't God playing tricks on us or making life unnecessarily difficult this is all part of his plan to shape us and make us more like Jesus so we need gospel priorities we need gospel wisdom and then we need to consider gospel motives so we had that opening verse that, um, that, that Daniel shared with us at the beginning, right at the start of the service. We had Jeremiah 17, verse 9, page 776. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. 
Who can understand it? So this is about understanding how we generally make decisions as human beings. Page 776, if you want to see that again. How, how do we generally make decisions? We, we tend to assume and we tend to act as if we are rational and neutral decision makers. So as if we, sort of, we start with a blank sheet of paper and, you know, because we're rational and neutral decision makers, we consider all the reasons for a decision and all the reasons against a decision. And having done that, we make the right decision based purely on all the rational arguments that we have considered. But the thing is, the Bible makes clear over and over again that this is not how human beings work at all. Now, there are, there are some, some writers... Um, who've been really helpful on this in, in more recent years in kind of highlighting the Bible's teaching on this, although Christians have known this always, and you'll find this in the Reformers and the Puritans um, and others, but writers like Tim Chester and Tim Keller and Paul Tripp that you might have come across, their writing on this is really, really helpful by highlighting what the Bible says about the heart. The heart is the control centre of our personalities. It's the seat of our will and the will activates the will in other words is what we choose to do and the will activates according to what our heart desires so we do what we want literally and what that means is that our hearts are not shaped by reason so that's how we often sort of want to say that it's happening, that you know, my brain sort of weighs everything up and my reason decides that this is what I ought to do and then my heart then re responds obediently to what my brain has said ought to happen. And so then, okay, because rationally that's the right thing to do, I therefore want to do this. That's not how it works. What we do is we find reasons to do what our hearts already want to do. We find reasons to do what our hearts already want to do. And that is what that verse in, in verse, chapter 17, verse 9 in Jeremiah is talking about. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? In, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, back in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus puts it like this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say well, once your rational heart has weighed up all the pros and cons of desiring something, it will decide it is sensible to desire a particular treasure and will proceed to do so. It doesn't say that. It's the other way around. See, the, the heart finds what it desires and then the reasons for that follow. Tim Keller, again, sums up the Bible's teaching like this. What the heart most wants... The mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. Do you see? Heart, first of all, then the mind kind of follows and goes, okay, I'm going to sort of fit in my reasons to kind of justify what I already want. Emotions then follow, and that makes us really, really, really want, and then the will goes, oh, all right, then, oh, we'd better do that then. Well, what does all this mean for guidance? Well, it means beware of turning inwards. 
as we make decisions. Beware of listening purely to the desires of your own hearts, as if you're thinking, well, it's in the heart that God whispers what his will is for your life. And that, that's so often how we think about guidance again, or how, you know, either in our culture or even sometimes in Christian circles, we can speak in these kinds of ways. You know, the, the answer's within you. If, that, if that's what you, uh, if you listen hard enough, then, then you will get um, uh, what's in your heart. Uh, but no, the, the heart is deceitful. The heart is beyond cure. It really isn't a very good place to look for guidance. So, we, so we, we use language like we say, I feel an inner peace about this decision. Well, really? Or, or could this be that the, could it be that the inner peace that you feel is your heart's way of echoing your heart's deepest desires? And so your, or your brain's way of echoing your heart's deepest desires. That inner peace. Or it, 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 and it's striking how often the, the, the sense of inner peace will be used even as grounds to transgress what God has clearly said is wrong. You know, well, this, this relationship is adulterous, but I feel at peace about it. Or I'm not being entirely honest about my finances, but I've, I've found peace about it. No, that is my deceitful heart feeling pleased that it's getting what it wants. Scripture would advise us to check our motives very carefully as we make decisions. Are we we doing this because our desire is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves? Or are we doing this because ultimately it suits us and it's what our heart has already set its desires on and we're just sort of finding reasons to justify what we already feel now some people of course do take things too far the other way and assume that unless i'm doing the least comfortable possible option in every circumstance i'm definitely not doing god's will you kind of have a sort of perverse attitude to everything that unless i'm suffering the worst possible way all the time then i'm I'm, i feel terribly guilty because i can't possibly find pleasure now life life won't always be like that but it is worth asking the question. And that, I think that's why we, we do need each other as we make you know, decisions, particularly the bigger decisions that we make in life. It, that's where it's helpful to tease things out with somebody and say, do you, think, do you think this is just me wanting this because that's what I want? Or, or is this actually the thing that God is opening the door for? Or, or whatever it might be. So gospel priorities, gospel wisdom, gospel motives and then finally we must be sure not to lose sight of gospel grace so turn with me to romans chapter 8 which we haven't read but it's on page 1135 1135 I'll read that I'll read a bit of that in a minute but in in the end the, the reason that we care about guidance is that we're desperate to avoid making bad decisions if we didn't care about making bad decisions why would we be even asking the question and and the three areas of priorities and wisdom and motives will help us as we weigh things up but we are broken by sin and we are finite in our time and our energy and there always comes a time when we just have to make a decision We we may not have had time or or we may not have the resources to weigh things up properly. Or we may just feel that it's so difficult to know what the right thing is to do. And of course we have to remember 
that not taking a decision in these circumstances, which can often be attractive to, to us or to some types of people, just putting off the decision and, and not making it today, sometimes that in itself just becomes a decision, doesn't it? It's still a decision because you're ending up, the decision is to abdicate responsibility or to procrastinate or whatever. And that in itself is, is a decision that you are making with your will. So you, you will make a decision whether you like it or not. And there will be times when the, when the decisions that we make turn out to be good and to lead to kind of uh, positive things which happen or there'll be times when it turns out we look back and we think, no, actually, that was the wrong, what feels like that was the wrong decision. Don't, I probably should have done something different there. Now, from all we've seen over the last couple of weeks, we need to remember both the good and the bad decisions that we make and that we will inevitably make through our lives, all the decisions that we make, they are within God's sovereign will. And the best news of all is that it isn't just our good decisions that God can use in his plan to make us more like Jesus. So that therefore, when we, when we look back and think, oh, no, you know, actually, that was a bad decision, we kind of think, okay, it's game over then. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, out of sorts with God. He, 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 he's going to turn against me, and, and life is completely messed up now. And I, it's all gone wrong. No. Have a look at chapter... 8 verse 28 to 30 in uh, Romans 1135 Paul writes this we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So God doesn't just work in the good things. doesn't just work in the times when we got it all right and we made the really wise decision that everyone looking on would go, oh, yeah, that was a really good thing to do. No, he works in all things, including the times when we've totally stuffed up. Isn't that good news? So someone thinks they've made a poor decision in marriage. Romans 8 says, God is using that to make you more like Jesus. Someone thinks they took the wrong job. They're just not doing the thing that they should be doing. No, Romans 8 says, God is using that to make you more like Jesus. Someone thinks they're living the wrong life. They're just doing completely the wrong thing from what they ought to be doing. No, this is the life that God planned for you from before eternity. These are the days. This is exactly what you're meant to be doing. And even in our sin and our mess and our foolishness, he is making us more like Jesus and he's making us ready for new heavens and new earth where painful decision making will end and we will live in perfect relationship with Jesus and one another forever that is what this is all about isn't it that is where this is all heading our lives are about far more than today and tomorrow and job and career or even family and friendships they are about knowing God and that's what he's getting us ready for 
through the decisions that we make, good or bad. So doesn't that give us confidence as we struggle with the decisions that we need to make, as we long for guidance? Know with confidence God has given you what you need to know in his word. Know with confidence that you can find there that the priorities you need to have as you make decisions. You can find the wisdom that you need as you make decisions. You can find the right motives that you need as you make decisions. And know with confidence then that you can just freely make a decision and go for it. Trusting that whether that turns out to lead to, to, to great things or, or whatever in the eyes of the world, as it were, God will use whatever happens to make you more like Jesus. Isn't that good news? Well, let's keep then making decisions today, trusting him today, and let's make decisions that will help us keep trusting him tomorrow. Let me leave us in prayer now. Father God, thank you for this uh, reminder that we don't need to fret about the future. We don't need to fret about the decisions that we need to make. We have everything we need in your word. We pray that we would keep coming to you each day of our lives in order to find wisdom, in order to find gospel priorities, in order to find the right motives, but most of all to find the grace that we need as we live each day as sinners, as people living with the consequences of decisions we've made in the past, good or bad. Thank you that in all of these things you are working to make us more like Jesus and thank you for the freedom and the confidence that that brings. Amen.